0: good morning everyone uh, my name is kevin lagore and welcome to the skywatcher what's up webcast and thank you all for tuning in um sorry for the intro glitch there um but i uh, thank you all for tuning into the what's up webcast uh, this morning uh we do these every friday 10 a.m pacific time and each week we try to cover a different topic on astronomy astrophotography or pretty much anything we feel like and This week we're going to be going over Dobsonians and we're going to kind of keep this basic. So for some people this might be a review, for other people you may be looking at a Dobsonian thinking about it if it's right for you. Hopefully this uh, webcast will be helpful Um, and this isn't recorded so well, it's live right now, but it will be recorded. So if you need to go back or review anything, you could always go back. Or if you've missed any of the What's Up webcasts, you can always go back and re-watch the episodes. And if we didn't get anything uh, or cover something that uh, you might want to know about, you can always email us at support at skywatcherusa.com. Title it, What's Up webcast, and shoot us your question. And we can either answer it there, or you can always give us a call as well. Now, like I said, this week we're going over Dobsonian Basics, and these are great telescopes uh, to get started with, and we get a lot of people who are interested in them, so we thought this week would be good to cover um, just kind of the real basic fundamentals of owning a Dobsonian, and kind of what to look for if you're thinking about one. So, uh, we're going to get started on that. If you have any questions, just save them to the end. Um, I will get to them when I can. But uh, thank you for joining us this morning. So, let's get started. So, Dobsonian telescopes if you've ever been to a star party and you've walked the field, you notice there's a lot of things that look like cannons. Uh, those are Dobsonians, and they range in sizes from Tiny little tabletop, three-inch to massive. Uh, The picture that you see right here, this is Texas Star Party. That is a 36-inch Obsession telescope. I think they only made like five or six of these scopes. Um, That is a 17-foot orchard ladder right next to it, just to give you some scale. Huge. Um, So, Dobsonians, it's really sky's the limit. Um, Unintended? Maybe we did intend. Um, But let's learn a little bit about them. So Dobsonians were a concept uh, from a gentleman named uh, John Dobson and many people who are in the outreach astronomy outreach communities are very familiar with John Dobson. His whole goal was to make astronomy more accessible to people and He's really a legendary figure um, in the astronomy world. And he came up with a very simplistic setup to allow people to use or build a telescope with limited money um, and real basic things. And basically all he did was take a Newtonian telescope and put this on like a Lazy Susan style mount. He did this in the 1960s is when this design came up, and he was very open with this design, and it caught on over the years to where people started making their own telescopes. Obviously, larger manufacturers like us here at Skywatcher, as well as others, started making Dobsonians. Um, But the the fundamental thing about a DOB is that it really gives you the ability to have a larger aperture telescope at a decent price or easily made by yourself. Um, Keep in mind, this was in an era where your only option as far as mass produced or produced telescopes were gonna be small refractors from uh, big brands uh, stores. So we're only talking like 60 millimeter, I mean, 80 millimeter refractors, you know, were, we're getting pretty big. And when you're starting to push up to the 100 or 130 millimeters so four or five inch um, they were getting expensive and they were very long focus long tubes Uh, this was really before the era of uh, some of the Schmidt Cassegrain's came into play this is right around where I think Celestron was getting started so this was early before we have as many options as we do today. We really have an amazing selection of equipment right now. So now has never been a better time to basically get into astronomy, regardless of who you choose to go with or if you build your own. Um, there's so many options now that you can choose that would really make your hobby fun. Um, but the Dobsonian really started in an era where owning a six inch or eight inch or ten inch telescope was really kind of unheard of so john dobson was showing people how to make their own mirrors out of like uh plate glass or like ship porthole windows um making your own mirrors making your own telescope um to where you could actually have something that really allowed you to explore the night sky um, with more light gathering power well, nowadays we've kind of accelerated a little bit more where this has taken off quite a bit so you see dobsonians all over the place and this is the gentleman that you would have to thank uh for making that possible unfortunately he's not with us anymore but he was a major influence among the astronomy community and left his mark by providing us the dobsonian telescope so we're just going to run through a basic overview of what you're going to find on a Dobsonian because I have a lot of people who call in. um, They might not know what each piece on the telescope is. You know, a lot of times it's a doohickey or a thingamabob or something like that. Well, there's terminology that we should probably learn, which can make your understanding of your equipment easier. And if you need assistance, it better when you understand what you're talking about. So just a typical Dobsonian. We're gonna use our classic 250p um, DoB as just an example. Um, So it is a Newtonian telescope. The telescope itself is nothing fancy. It's been around for years. Um, And this is made up of two mirrors. You have a primary at the back that's parabolic. So it has a parabolic curve ground into the glass that focuses it up to a flat secondary mirror uh, and bounces it up into the focuser where you would look um, with your eyepiece so this is just a standard newtonian telescope now if you're new to newtonians because they use mirrors it's upside down. The view is going to be upside down. This is just how physics work. I've had people call me before saying, I got my telescope, everything's upside down. That's normal um, because we're using a mirror based telescope. It's going to be an inverted image. I'm sorry if you don't like that. That's just physics. Um, but in reality, when you're looking up in space, there's not really a orientation at that point so it doesn't matter if it's upside down or not you're still going to see what you want to see so standard newtonian telescope parabolic primary in the back focuses to a flat what we call elliptical secondary because it's an elliptical shape it's not circular i don't have i should have brought one i have one sitting out somewhere. um focuses it to that mirror and that bounces it up into your eye now The Newtonian telescope is then mounted on a basic ALT-AS mount and these are very simplistic mounts. You've got left, right, and up and down, very, very simple. You can grab the telescope tube and you can point it over here, you can point it over there, left, right, push it all around. It's really smooth. Um, It just uses uh, usually like a Teflon bearing, Um, some of our telescopes as well as others use a uh, like a needle roller bearing um, assembly. Regardless, there are bearings in there that allow you to have a a smooth rotational surface to make the telescope easy to point in whatever direction that you want to point it at. Uh, It doesn't get much simpler than that. And what's nice about this is it gives you a lot of aperture. We're talking 6 inch, 8 inch, 10 inch, whatever on a very simplistic mount normally you'd have to take a newtonian telescope put some rings on it put it on a like an equatorial mount then as it moves across the sky the focusers and all these weird spots on the side it just gets annoying so this makes it very very easy very simplistic for you to go explore the night sky with a good amount of aperture and you don't need any crazy exotic hardware to do it uh, so, up at the top of the telescope, uh, normally mounted on the side, this is the focuser. It's got the focus knobs. This is where your eyepiece goes into and it allows you to get a nice, sharp, focused image. So that's the focuser. Um, usually, right next to that is a finder or finder scope. Uh, these come in all different types. Uh, normally, you have these little optical finders, which are basically a mini telescope, they've got some crosshairs in there. You could get some other ones like Red Dots or my personal favorite, a Telrad. Um, And these are all different finders you can put on there to help you point and aim the telescope around once they've been aligned to the main telescope. Uh, Next you have the base. Uh, The base is obviously what the telescope itself sits on and allows you to move it across the sky into different areas. Then we obviously have the optical tube, which is the telescope assembly itself this houses all of your optics your two mirrors and keeps them all aligned and then on the back we have the mirror cell which handles the primary mirror of the telescope and you can't see it but down in the front portion of the tube right down in here is the secondary mirror and that sits on kind of this crosshair uh, assembly that we call a spider and that holds the secondary in the middle of the light path there so light hits the primary mirror jumps up to that and then comes out the focuser on the side and that's basically all a dobsonian is short sweet to the point nothing fancy so that's why dobsonians are generally really popular because you can get like a 10 inch telescope like what you see here for like 600 five or 600 bucks and you've got a 10 inch telescope. A 10 inch telescope is a massive amount of light gathering power. You take that to a dark sky, you're gonna be busy for years on what a telescope like that can show you. You wanna take a telescope of the same size and uh, put it in any other design, it's gonna be quite a bit more expensive uh, to do that. So a Dobsonian's gonna give you it's basically giving you a lot of light gathering power for not a lot of money. So, we'll get into the advantages and disadvantages of the Dobbs um, moving forward here in a bit. So, there are different types of Dobsonian telescopes. It's all the same, uh, it's all basically the same system. It's just uh, different on how we handle the telescope tube itself. So the first one, of course, is just the classic design. Um, This is a closed tube. They're generally made out of metal. Um, Sometimes they were made out of like sonotube or cardboard tubes. Um, You don't see those too much anymore. Um, You could still, there's a lot of people who still make their own Dobsonian telescopes. Um, A sonotube is a really quick and cheap and effective way to do that because you can get them at the hardware store. They come in all different sizes. Um, and it works well, but they can get kind of heavy. So obviously for more large format manufacturing, like we do, we've got, um, aluminum or metal tubes that's thin walled, lighter weight, um, which is helpful. But if you want to make your own, you can make one out of a sonotube tube from a hardware store, quick, easy, cheap, And that's what John Dobson was doing as well. That's what his tubes were primarily made out of. So standard tube standard base, nothing fancy. That's just the classic design right there. Um the next design which is kind of one that you just find here at Skywatcher is the and I try not to try not to make this like a big advertisement. We want to make sure this is educational, but I want to make sure you guys get all the major. So the next um style is a collapsible which this is an open tube design this generally uses struts or something like that to allow the telescope tube to extend and retract down making it more compact for travel Um, these are more compact than the closed tubes the problem when you have a closed tube classic design is that that's going to be a big tube and you know when we're talking like a six inch dob those are normally like f8 so you're already talking like four feet long at that point point. and if you want to make a bigger one like let's say you want a 12 inch now you're talking five feet long and sometimes that becomes a travel problem and i think most of us can agree that we always want a bigger telescope but travel becomes a problem and that's something we're going to talk about here later so there's a lot of a lot of these other designs are really to accommodate travel capabilities um, especially when you go up an aperture so uh, for Skywatcher here we have a collapsible design um, this allows the tube to shrink down it still holds the alignment really well for the mirrors and but this design is also limited by how big you can go as well now for the largest we have the truss tube dobs. Um, this is my old 20 inch obsession. Um, it's gone now. I'm making a 28 inch telescope, so I had to sell this one to fund that. So uh, it's really, really difficult to make a tube dob for a 20 inch telescope. This telescope is eight feet tall when pointed straight up. So if you imagine traveling with an eight-foot tube and some companies like discovery telescopes they had a cool split tube design where two tubes would come apart that's better but now you still have two 22 inch 24 inch diameter four foot tubes it's still a ton of stuff to haul around um so in order for you to basically make portable large aperture telescopes and we're probably talking 15 inch and up at this point, especially when you get to like 18 and 20 inch and larger, truss tubes are like the only way to go. Um, So the truss tube design is nice because it's more compact, Uh, especially for larger apertures. Uh, It is going to require alignment every time you set it up because you're disassembling the optical tube. That's not too difficult. We'll talk about that here shortly. But uh, one thing is, so the cla well, we have the whole layout here of all three. The classic Dobbs have a closed tube system. So the advantage of that is if you're observing in a light polluted location, there's no external light that's gonna come in from the side and hit the mirror and give you glare and all kind of like that. So a closed tube is nice for that. Um, if you're having these open systems like the collapsible or a truss tube system where it's opened you're gonna need a shroud uh, which is what you see up here and that covers the open portion of the tube and kind of seals it away from light from entering the side of the tube so uh, those are the three main styles there's a lot of people who've made their own variations of these for making them more compact or kind of unique designs i've seen them where they fold up on each other um you know collapsible is all different kinds so that's all all different kinds of options it really just comes down to what size telescope we're working with and that's where each style comes into play if you know Tube daubs, those are going to be good for probably 6 inch to 12 inch. Um, The collapsibles, obviously, we make those in 8 inch to 16 inch. And then truss daubs kind of start to becoming a question when you hit 12 inch. Um, Even a 12 inch truss daub is really, really tiny and portable. Um, But by the time you get 14, 15, and you get big, a truss tube is like the only way to go you want to realistically take it anywhere so those are the three um, major styles of dobsonian telescopes so let's talk about the advantages and disadvantages of some of these telescopes and we'll get into the the nitty-gritty there so advantages uh A big advantage of Dobsonians is aperture. They're the most cost-effective way to get a large aperture. Um, The telescope you see me standing there in the picture, that's a 42 inch uh, Dobsonian that was up at the Grand Canyon last year. Uh, Huge, huge telescope. I'm almost six feet tall. You can see how big that rocker box is. With me standing next to it it is a massive telescope so um there's no way you're going to make a one meter refractor um, there is one you can go check it out tubes like 40 feet long go to the observatory check that out um so if you're a aperture fiend and you want the biggest freaking thing that you can get a hold of a dobsonian is going to be probably the easiest way to achieve that and you can get Dobsonian telescopes from like three-inch, little tabletop, to whatever your heart's content. Uh, there is a kind of a modified DoB up in Utah that's a 70-inch. Um, that's the largest I'm aware of. There is a, uh, out by the Texas Star Party, there's a gentleman who owns a 48-inch uh, telescope. You know, there's manufacturers that'll be happy to build you like a 25 30, 32, 36, all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. Um, so, if you're aperture hungry, dobs are the way to go. I will say, though, aperture is not always everything. You have to have the conditions, the seeing conditions, the sky stability to use larger telescopes. When you start getting into that 30 inch class, if the seeing conditions of your location are not good enough to support it, it's kind of a waste. I've I've been to star parties where I've looked through a 36-inch. It's the biggest, baddest thing on the field. And the view was kind of eh. Where you could go down the way and you'd look through a 25 or a 28 at the same object, and it was much sharper. And that's because the seeing conditions can support certain apertures. So Uh, 28 inch is probably the largest telescope you can do where most of the time the seeing conditions will support that aperture size and on down when you get to these monster telescopes the image is gonna be bright but it's not always gonna be super sharp and detailed because it becomes very reliant on the conditions of the evening that's why big observatories that have like these four meter, six meter, eight meter diameter telescopes, they're on mountaintops where they know the seeing is good um, because it can support it. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to get to that uh, imaging with Dobbs here in a second. So hold off on that. And we'll cover that here shortly. Uh, so again, uh, you can get Dobsonian's from like little tabletop three inch to custom one meter. You know, it just depends on how much money you want to throw at it. Really, uh, they are the best bang for the buck. You know, you like I said earlier, you can get a ten inch uh, Dobsonian telescope for five six hundred bucks, and you've got a ten inch telescope. You can look at galaxies with that. The planets look amazing with that you've got 10 inches of aperture. Um, So that opens up a lot. Um, So Dobsonians are gonna give you the most amount of aperture for the least amount of money. And aperture is gonna help you see those faint fuzzies or resolve those crazy details on some of those planets and the moon. That's very helpful. So if that's what you're into, if you're into visual work, um, Dobsonians can be awesome. Uh, they're generally really simple to use you literally just grab the tube and push them around Um, you can get more exotic by adding go to systems or computer assistance, like digital setting circles which can hook up to like a a controller box or now like ipads and apps where you can actually manually move it around the sky and it tells you where it's at so um, there's all kinds of options there That's an excellent all-around visual telescope. They're good for the planets. They're good for the moon. They're good for deep sky because they all have that aperture. So um, that's the big advantage of this. So disadvantages of a DAB. Uh they can be really cumbersome. Again, here's that 42 inch dob that was up there. Um, and it doesn't have to be some big monstrous thing like this either, uh, sometimes an eight inch telescope is too much um, i have a lot of people who get these telescopes and they're they're a little uneasy because they expected it to be smaller um so just kind of understand what you're getting yourself into regardless of the manufacturer or whatever understand what you're getting into like how long the tube is gonna be how much is the base gonna take up uh can you store it do you have to walk it downstairs Uh, is your car gonna be able to support the telescope that you're getting you know if you've got a small little Fiat you might be limited to what you're gonna work with Um, even like a small little Civic style um, car you're gonna be limited with a tube that's four feet long it's gonna take up the back seat you still have the base to worry about and maybe you want to take your family along with camping gear so you know you want to think about how you're gonna transport this telescope it doesn't always have to be some monster thing it could be something small but most of the time Dobsonians can be more cumbersome um, the bigger ones though if you're getting big like big big we'll say 18 inch and bigger um i have a lot of friends of mine who have scopes that big i've owned scopes that big uh, there's a lot of people that always say "Oh, i would love to own a scope or my dream scope is this um it's normally some big scope uh, those are going to require some specialized equipment to transport them sometimes they need ramps to roll them into the car because they're heavy uh, you might need a trailer if it's a really big telescope, uh, the ladder to climb up to look through it is something you wanna think about. Um, all of that is additional stuff you have to bring with you. It's not just, I'm gonna go out with my eyepiece kit and telescope anymore. It's there's specialty equipment that has to be there to support it. For some people, it's totally worth it. For other people, not so much. It's You gotta ask yourself what you want What you want out of it what you're willing to put into it and it's not a one-size-fits-all argument so before you dump a bunch of money into something think about what you want to do what are your goals of of doing this and can you do and move the equipment that you're looking at now there are some ways to get around the cumbersome uh, argument and one of those is faster optics so if you've seen before the f ratio on a telescope where it says like f8 or f10 or f6 um, you can make those smaller Uh, nowadays we've gotten better with the technology uh to make faster optics now we're talking about telescopes that are f most dobsonians like that we make at skywatch are about f6 to f4 Um, we sit in between those Now, there are some custom manufacturers that can make faster optics. Now, we're talking telescopes that have F4 or sub-F4 mirrors like F3.6 or 3.3, even F3. Um, When you have a faster F-ratio optic, it makes the focal length shorter and much more compact. So this is something to consider, especially when you're going into larger telescopes, we'll say like 15 inch and bigger. Um, Sometimes you can actually get someone to produce a mirror that's really big with a fast F ratio and it's really small and compact. Um, Downside with this though, is it's going to cost more money because it's difficult to manufacture those mirrors. And they also show a lot more coma and we're going to address coma that's an optical uh, phenomenon that hand uh, occurs with a parabolic mirror we'll talk about that in a minute Uh, for example if we're talking small and compact the telescope you see here this is elvira Um, i forgot her owner's name unfortunately he's a really nice guy though Uh, he hand built this whole thing he had the mirrors built by a master optician and this is a 24 inch f 2.75 this thing is fast um i think it's the fastest telescope i've ever looked through and it's super short this is it's the mirror is 24 inches in diameter most 24 inch Dobbs are about eight feet tall uh, this thing I think is like five I'm about six feet I have to crunch down a little bit when you're looking through it you can actually be seated and look through this telescope most of the evening so when you're looking at these bigger telescopes now you have the option to get custom ma- uh, fabricated mirrors um, that really fast so you're gonna have to talk about the coma problem which we'll talk about in a second um, but it allows you to get a big telescope and a really small package um excuse me uh and there's plenty of them out there and they're i mean this telescope is freaking awesome um you really have to go to like texas star party or wherever he's gonna be there to see it this particular telescope there's so many cool things he put on this thing it's awesome um even the little thing back here really quick if you see this little tank tread looking thing this is a cart that he made it actually slides it to the telescope, grabs the telescope, picks the whole thing up and then with a joystick he rolls it up into the trailer. So he doesn't have to pick up anything. He made all of this. Um but it's ridiculous. It's it's one of the coolest telescopes I've ever used, but yeah, it's a 24-inch f2.75, so really fast, really compact. It's actually shorter than our Skywatcher 16-inch, but it has like twice the light gathering power of it. So um really cool stuff right there um there's a whole write-up if you actually google elvira telescope um you could google the regular elvira but it's not gonna be a telescope um you could google this um there's a whole write-up on cloudy nights uh website about how he built this but anyway we're getting kind of sidetracked here um another thing about dobsonians particularly like the truss dobs the bigger ones that you have to break apart they do require collimation or alignment of the optics uh, this isn't that hard um if you're a beginner um it can be a little cumbersome at first um, but it's it gets easier so don't worry too much about collimation you'll get it down with the right tool now Dobbs are not ideal for astrophotography and this is why so first off astrophotography when we're taking long exposures of faint objects it requires tracking now there are go-to jobs we make go-to jobs um, you can get go to put on pretty much any of the bigger jobs like obsession uh, star master had stuff uh, teeter telescopes new moon all of those companies and put go to on a dobsonian telescope but it's it's not oh it's not quite the answer so when stars cross the sky or when the earth rotates it's rotating equatorially so stars rise in the east and they set in the west but they move in an arc across the sky Like, if you ever take a long exposure and do star trail images, that streaks in kind of an arc. Go-to Dobbs. are out-as telescopes. They're not equatorial telescopes. They don't track in a nice arc like um, equatorial mount would. They they track more in a stair-step matter, where it's kind of over, down, or over, up, whichever way you're going. Over, up, over, up. And kind of like the little diagram you see here. Uh, that's how they track. They don't accommodate for that arc. So what that means is you're gonna start getting, um, they don't accommodate basically for the rotation. So as we track across the sky, you can see that that's rotating. They don't accommodate for the rotation of the sky. And the problem with that is, you're gonna have pinpoint stars in the middle of your image and you're gonna have streak stars on the outer portion of the view. And that's called field rotation. And there are ways around that. They're not cheap, they're complicated. So it's, jobs aren't great for astrophotography. There are people that are doing it. I've seen some very impressive stuff, but it's really short exposures, a lot of them, you're stacking that uh they're really good for lunar and planetary work because you got a lot of aperture on there and you're shooting really quick so um that's something that you can actually uh, work with there but if you have any interest in doing astrophotography now there are other ways to get around it you can get like an equatorial platform those can be kind of pricey and they have to be made for your specific location so there's ways to do it it's not ideal if you're planning to get into astrophotography, you'd probably be better going off with an equatorial mount and a refractor or something else. Uh, but a Dob should be kind of your backup buddy While your imaging scope is running, go use your Dob. So that's my take on astrophotography and Dobsonian. Uh, lastly, they can also suffer from COMA, um, optical aberrations. So uh, COMA, happens with parabolic mirrors it just it just occurs so it's just a natural thing um the faster the f ratio or the faster the optics the more severe the coma is presented in the telescope and coma looks like this um in the middle the stars are going to look good and then out towards the edges are going to kind of smear out they kind of look like comets um by the way if you haven't gone out and looked for comet c2020 f3 neowise uh go check it out it's in the evening. Um, but these are going to look like comets on the outer edge of the the field. And the faster those optics are going to be, like if we're talking these fast optics, um, like F3 or F four, you're gonna see coma. Uh, so it's smeared on the outer edges. Look like on um, severe stuff, it looks like seagulls. Now, this can be addressed with correctors called coma correctors. There's a variety of them, um, and this is this doesn't matter if you're doing visual or photographic on a Newtonian telescope as well. This happens with any parabolic mirror, so uh, you will need a coma corrector. Now, coma is kind of funny. Um, it bugs some people. It doesn't bug other people. Um, I think coma correctors start to become something you should look into if your telescope's like f4.3 and faster really when you get to f4 i think you need a coma corrector um but f4.5 is pretty forgiving especially if you've got good eyepieces with good correction on the edge but um, around f4 is where you want to start looking at a coma corrector um there's a variety of out of them out there. Botter makes a nice coma corrector for visual. Um, I think the best one is the Teleview Paracore. Um, it's adjustable for certain things, so you could check out one of those. Those all handle really fast optics as well. That's coma. Uh, lastly is collimation. And we get a lot of people who ask about this a lot when you're a beginner. Uh, collimation is basically just the alignment of the optics. And this can be done with either collimation eyepieces. Uh, Some telescopes include them. It gets the job done. But I think the better way to do it is a laser collimator. I know there are people who will fight me on this one. Um, There are some other more specific tools, like a Cheshire and stuff like that you could use, which are good. Um, But a a good laser collimator is generally all that you need. Um, And this is really a must. If you're getting a dobsonian telescope or a Newtonian telescope for that matter, a nice laser collimator should be something that is on your accessory list like immediately. Cuz eventually you're gonna need it. And most of the time the telescopes hold alignment pretty well. So if you do need to make adjustments, it's it's gonna be minor. Um if you get into a truss dobsonian, they might be bigger adjustments. Um collimation isn't scary Um, I remember when I was getting started that collimation was kind of a freaky thing you're you're messing around with the optics of your telescope Um, but nowadays a lot of manufacturers have tried to make that easy and really design things to hold alignment well so a nice laser collimator Um, there's a lot of affordable ones out there Uh, the hotek laser collimators are very nice um the the howie gladder lasers um if you never had a chance to meet howie gladder he was awesome but uh, he made some amazing laser collimators i usually tell people if you can get to a more quality laser collimator like a company like hotek or the howie gladder lasers um, some of the cheap ones you want to be careful about The reason being is that a laser collimator also has to be collimated. The laser in there has to be collimated so when it puts in there, you know that it's straight. Um, I've had people before get inexpensive laser collimators that were out of collimation. And if the laser's out of collimation and you go to collimate your scope, the scope's out of collimation. Um, It's rare, but it does happen. Um, So if you can invest in a little bit better collimator, and it's not much more um, from like a more reliable company, then you know you have support there. If it is out of alignment, they can adjust it for you. Um, But yeah, having a laser collimator is a must. Uh, regardless of who you buy your dobsonian or newtonian from whether it's you know affordable like what we make or really high-end you want a good laser collimator in the box it's it makes collimation like that Um, and you don't need an extra set of hands um, anymore a lot of the collimators have like a little target on the side where you can see the reflection come back up makes it really quick really easy to do Um, alignment in the field Uh, obviously we just covered that real quick so how a laser collimator works is you put it in the eyepiece focuser which is right up here it fires a laser down onto the secondary down to the primary and then the primary bounces that right back up and back up into there and basically what you're trying to do is you're just trying to get the reflections lined up on top of each other Um, and this is normally done by adjusting the two mirrors now a secondary mirror has usually three adjustment screws behind it on the spider secondary holder, and then the primary is going to have a set of collimation screws and they just pivot that mirror in the cell and that way you can move it uh, most primary mirrors nowadays um, have a little donut sticker or they some of the higher-end manufacturers actually diamond etch um, an etching to center mark the mirror and that way you know that's the physical center of the mirror it makes alignment a lot easier so something to something to think about so if you get like any of the uh, mass-produced jobs like from us or from anybody else they do have a little most of them do uh, have a little center mark sticker it looks like a donut on it leave it there don't peel that off Um, that's to mark the middle of the mirror makes collimation a lot easier. That's collimation there. Um, When you're new, again, this can be big. Uh, Once you've got it down a couple times, it should only take you like a minute or two to really address your collimation, and that's it's like whacked out of its mind. Um, But a good laser collimator can make that really easy and effective for you. Okay. Real quick rundown, then we'll get to questions. Uh, what to look for? So, if big things, if you're getting your first Dobsonian telescope, here's what I tell people to look for. Number one, you want one that has a parabolic mirror. Um, there's some really, really cheap stuff out there that doesn't have a parabolic mirror. There's spherical mirrors, and it it just doesn't give as sharp, doesn't give the sharpest image that you can because you're going to get all kinds of weird spherical aberrations in there. Um, I get they're inexpensive, but if you're really looking for a nice Dobsonian, and most of the $200 and above are parabolic mirrors, so look for something that's got parabolic mirror. A nice focuser, um, obviously everything on the uh, market right now is a decent focuser. You can upgrade it if you want, but a good focuser is nice. and something that has collimatable optics where you can adjust the, the mirrors to align. Because um, if anything's out of alignment, it's not going to give you as sharp of an image. So, um, parabolic mirror, nice focuser, collimatable optics. Those are probably the three things that I would take a look at um, if you're looking for your first Dobsonian telescope. Uh, for beginners, if you're just getting started and you're not sure what to get, I would probably say I have it listed right here as 3-inch to 8-inch. Um, if you've got kids, a small little tabletop 3-inch is probably fun to play with. Um, if you could find a 5-inch to 8-inch telescope, that's probably where I would start. Um, this is our little Heritage 130. It's a 5-inch tabletop daub. Parabolic um, mirror, Collimatable optics. Uh A five inch or bigger is things start to get more fun at that point Um, if you step up to a six or an eight inch now you're in more of a serious territory Um, but these are all relatively budget-friendly you can find them for under 400 bucks for the most part Um, it's a good bang for the buck Um, so if you're getting started try to find something around a five inch to eight inch Now, if you want a little bit more, you kind of know that you want to get into this, you're serious about it or you're experienced and you're just looking for a second scope or third or fourth or fifth or sixth or whatever. Um, As we know, one scope just doesn't stop. At least not here. Um, Eight inch to 16 inch, um, these scopes, you know you can get a really high-end 8 inch that does really nice stuff you can get up to 16 is still portable but it's going to show you a lot of stuff um this is a, a nice telescope to bring out to dark skies that's going to show you a lot more so something to take a look at if you're in that middle tier um you know if, if you're an advanced beginner i'd probably look at something like a 10 inch maybe a 12 inch uh, 12 inch galaxies really start to pop more um and then of course you can get into the big stuff like 14 or 16 inch you can go bigger if you want just know what you're getting into like we talked about earlier and then if you're just hardcore you've been around the block a couple times you know exactly what you want go big or go home um 16 inch 14 15 16 inch or bigger um this is where You know what you're getting yourself into Um, you've been around the block before you've played around with the smaller scopes and you just have to go with the biggest freaking thing that you can find Um, so in this category this is where I like to call dream scope category you're gonna be saving up a little bit for something like this you know what you're doing with something like this Um, but it's pretty awesome when you're starting to look through big, big glass, like 20 inch, 24, 25. Um, Obviously the seeing has to support it. Um, But just be aware that when you get a telescope this big, it kind of owns you. So make, just know what comes with the territory when you're getting to a scope at this level. So That's what I would break that down into. Uh, That's pretty much it for this week. Uh, Hopefully that's been somewhat informative for you guys. Um, But before we go into questions really quick, next week we are doing books, charts, and other literature. We're going to be talking about different books and stuff like that that we think is really cool for astronomy. These are like books you can take out into the field, like star atlases or... You know, Just stuff that might open your mind a little bit more to different things up in the nighttime sky. So that's next week's topic, um, so join us then. Uh, so if you have any questions right now, feel free to ask. Um, I know for a lot of people in the chat, this has probably been review, which is okay. Um, we do these to be educational. Um, we know we are Skywatcher. Yay, Skywatcher. But we we really ultimately want this to be educational. So whether you buy from us or someone else, or you make your own or whatever, you know, we wanna show all aspects of the hobby. That's the whole point of the What's Up webcast is for us to explore all different iterations of astronomy and hopefully get people excited about that. So hopefully you've been enjoying it uh, throughout these different episodes um we're still working on our special guest speaker let me see nope i haven't heard back from that yet so we're not there yet um but i hope you guys are enjoying these uh we like doing them it gives us something to do especially since the world is all kinds of screwed up right now um it kind of lets us hang out together for an hour um as well so uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying that. If there's a topic that you'd like us to cover or at least look into, you can also email us at support@skywatcherusa.com at and ask us to take a look at it, and we'll try to do a topic on it. It takes a little bit to build some of these videos, so um, you know we'll we'll try to look into it. But we're always looking for new topics, so uh, I do thank you for all of those who are watching us every week um if you missed it that's okay because we're we've got these going all the time so uh, if you have any questions about anything um you can always email us at support at skywatcherusa.com um you can give us a call and uh do that uh, mike uh when did they drop the stargate models so the stargates have been kind of fun recently um, I'll just be totally transparent and honest with you guys right now. Um, we've had some issues with, and I'm not even sure what exactly the issue is, but on the go-to models at the moment, um, some of them, not all of them, um, have had this binding problem. So right now we are taking a look at that. Um, we're hoping to address it. Um, we have a new sample of that of the go to base um, here we're hoping to get that tested and if it looks good then we'll we'll bring them back up but we don't want to continue to have issues or put people in a weird position if the go to base is having issues uh, the manual ones no no problem it's just the go to base but every time you add go to to a dob things get complicated and messy. So at the moment, we're trying to get this go-to problem addressed. That's why the Stargates aren't available at the moment. So hopefully we can get that figured out and they'll reappear again. Uh, Let's see what's next. Harold Johnson, on a go-to telescope, how do you keep the electronics up to date? Um... most of the so electronics generally have firmware updates that are done any manufacturer is going to be doing that so our engineers are always working on new firmware updates so whoever you bought through keep an eye out for that sometimes those updates address bugs sometimes they might not usually there's like a release note in the firmware that'll say what it addresses um but that's how I would keep the electronics up to date. Um, just keep your firmware uh, up to date as well. It's like like your phone. Just make sure the updates are updated at that point. Um, if I didn't get that exactly, then uh, you can also email us. Uh, let's see. Jeff Lucas, astrophotographer, how do you clean your Dob mirrors? That's a fun one. Um, the way I do it is first you have to take the mirror out of the telescope carefully. Um, depending on how big the mirror is, you could wash it in the sink or the tub or the shower. Um, I've washed up to a 20 inch mirror in a shower. It works fine. Um, if you got a really big mirror, you could always do it in like one of those inflatable kiddie pools. Um, but I get two gallons of distilled water, a bundle of, uh, cotton balls, a roll of paper towels. And a bottle of the Blue Dawn dish soap. With the first gallon of water, you're going to put that to the side and don't touch it. The second gallon, you're going to put a drop or two of Dawn dish soap into it and shake it up so it gets all soapy. And then get the mirror set up in on a flat surface and take your clean water, the first one that has no soap in it, pour it into the mirror and fill it up like a bowl to where it actually fills up the curve of the mirror Um, take some cotton balls and just lightly don't drag them don't put force on them just lightly pull them across in a circular motion starting from the middle and working outward and chuck it after that Um, from there And that's to get some of the loose dirt you can take a blower bulb to get loose dirt and stuff off of there before you clean it Um, but to get the real grimy stuff off of there you do that Um, once that's done uh, rinse that then fill it back up with the soapy water do it again and then once you've got all the grime off of there rinse that off again with the clean water a couple times to get any soap off of there And you can dab up any little leftover water beads with paper towels very lightly. Um, There's a lot of videos from opticians on YouTube that can go over this a lot better. So you have a visual, but that's how you do it. Um, Let's see, Uh, Jeff, when you do your Star Party webcast, what is the URL slash site for that? When I do my webcasts for uh, the digital star parties, that's www.focusastro.org. That's the website. You're looking for Star Stream. It's under events that lists all the coming events. Uh, Right now, we don't have any planned. Uh, We might do something with the planets and the comet that's up. So stay tuned for that. But uh, that's what we're looking at at the moment uh let's see my flex tube 250p has started to have some stiction in the azimuth i've seen suggestions about using soap to lubricate the teflon pads just wondering what Skywatcher suggests. suggest um sometimes that's just dirt and build up from use uh what i would do is just kind of wipe it down yeah with soapy water or alcohol or something like that just get the dirt off of it and see if that helps okay uh, i think that's everything um, if I missed one yeah that looks like all the questions um, if I missed anything or if something pops into your head after the fact uh, go ahead and email us at support at skywatcherusa.com um, title it what's up webcast just write whatever your heart desires in there um, and we'll be happy to check it out um, if you like what we do go ahead and subscribe to the channel I know that's the most YouTube thing ever but um that keeps you up to date with what videos are coming next you get informed with when we're going to do a new video so if you you want to keep up with that you can subscribe to our channel and that way you're notified when we do things um no i'm not doing a a live stream tonight um maybe next week stay tuned to that but um yeah all right, guys, well, that is pretty much everything for this week. Again, next week we are doing, let me flip this real quick. Oop. Um, we are doing, let me get rid of this too. Well, uh, we are doing books, charts, and other literature next week. So join us for that. Um, we're raking together quite a list of books, um, even some stuff uh, that you might not have heard of before. So keep an eye out for that um we'll see you next week we are still working on our special uh speaker um for uh the last week of this month uh hopefully by next week we'll have that officially pinned down and we'll let you know who that's going to be and then keep an eye out for next month's topics which we are currently working on well so thank you very much guys have a clear sky um go out and look at the comet it's pretty cool it's in the northwest just after sunset um it was slightly naked eye visible at least from here in phoenix uh yesterday Um, i know you're not going anywhere so that's a good chance for you to take a look at it so um thanks again uh clear skies hopefully and uh, we will see you guys next week take care guys and have a good 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 care guys and have a good